Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the 21 News Podcast. I am Managing Editor Justin Mitchell, and we are less than one week away from the May 3rd primary in Ohio. And at the state level, it's a race that pits the sitting governor, longtime Republican mainstay Mike DeWine, against two challengers from the right. One of those challengers is with us today, former Congressman Jim Renacci. Jim, good to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. So so I will just jump right into this. I want to start by having you talk about why you're in this race. So if you were to become governor, what are your top priorities? Well, look, uh, I moved to Ohio 39 years ago. I actually came to Youngstown, Ohio first. And Ohio was the land of opportunity. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Akron was the rubber capital of the world. We had Wien United in Youngstown. We had so much going on in the state of Ohio. And today... We rank anywhere from 35th to 50th in new business, we in, in economic prosperity. All of the economic indicators show that Ohio isn't failing and can't compete. Here's where we do compete, which is why I'm running. Number one, we're number one, and I, this is not a good thing. We're number one in corruption. Uh, you know, under Mike Stewine's leadership, we have the first energy scandal, which has really hurt. Ohio and 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 caused uh, you know us to rank so high, but we're also in the top five in human trafficking. We're in the top five in drug overdose addictions. But under his leadership, we've lost over 150,000 jobs, and we're the seventh most left state in the country. So I'm in the race because I'm bringing a businessman's background. I've created 1,500 jobs, employed over 3,000 people. I want to change our state and make it the powerhouse it used to be. Mike DeWine has caused our state to fall drastically over the last three years. And I think most people in the Youngstown area would admit that uh, life is much different three years later under a Mike DeWine administration. Now, your campaign has been heavily focused on, on those issues against DeWine, particularly over his handling of the COVID pandemic and things like business shutdowns. Yet, um, the Ohio Restaurant Association endorsed DeWine for re-election and called him, quote, a tireless advocate for Ohio's small business community. Um, and obviously, the restaurant industry was one of those industries that was hit really hard. So I'm interested in what your take is on that and what you would have done differently. Well, first off, it's part of the big business donor uh, group that has donated to Mike DeWine all along. Forty percent of those restaurants and businesses aren't open any longer. They don't have a chance to vote anymore. It's only the strong, big, powerful restaurant chains that donate to Mike DeWine who are, are making that recommendation. But in the end, the numbers don't lie. Statistics don't lie. This governor has taken us in the wrong direction. And I'll bet you in the Youngstown area, many of the businesses, many of those restaurants and bars are closed. Their voice isn't even present in the restaurant association's uh, decision. So again, Let's not just look at how he handled COVID. Let's look at how he handled a bunch of other things as well, though. Medicaid. We have billions of dollars lost in fraud and abuse under the DeWine administration. The unemployment system. Billions of dollars lost because we didn't prepare for even the slightest downturn. Money that will never come back. And the first energy scandal is wrapped around his neck. So, again, um, I'm not sure that I've got plenty of endorsements and I could rattle off hundreds of endorsements that I have. In the end, it's really about the hardworking Ohioans and where are they at today? Are they better off today with a gas tax that Mike DeWine increased? 
Are they better off today that, you know, our state is falling behind and, and uh, we're losing businesses and jobs? Are we better off today when we're the seventh most left state in the country? Those are the things I think people should be talking about or thinking about when they go vote next week. So those are sort of kitchen table issues um, that that, uh, that many, many people in this race uh, or not just this race, but this election cycle are there's a sort of a push and pull between whether or not candidates ought to be running on those kitchen table economic issues that affect you at home. And then some of these uh, cultural issues and another core tenet of your campaign has been this calling to ban critical race theory in classrooms. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to define critical race theory and what the language of such a proposed ban would say. Well, first off, as I travel the state and we've had many educational forums, and by the way, it's just not critical race theory. It's critical race theory. It's social emotional learning. And it's also comprehensive sex education. Why are we teaching our kindergarten to third grade sex education? This should be something the parents should be talking about and deciding, not teachers. But let me tell you what's out there because people say, well, we don't really have critical race theory. Well, we've exposed that all the universities in Ohio, the, the state universities, are now mandated as part of their guidelines to introduce those critical race theory issues in there. That was exposed just a few weeks ago under the Dwine administration. But here's what we've also exposed. We've had parents come up to us and say, my seven-year-old was told, you know the color of your skin? You're privileged. And what you have to understand is the African-American colors of their skin, they're not privileged. You're a privileged class. They're not. That seven-year-old went back to his parents and said, mom, dad, this is what I'm being taught in school. Thank goodness those parents went to the schools and said, why are you teaching this stuff? There was another classroom and another. And again, these are forums. These are parents that are telling this. And one of the teachers said, you know, um, you're, you should be proud to support the gay uh, and lesbian movement. Well, look, I don't believe in discriminating against anybody, but I also don't believe that our children should be taught, you know, what they should be proud of or not proud of. These are the things that um, parents should be involved of, especially when it comes to those issues. So this is the stuff that's going on in our schools. This is the stuff that this governor has not talked about. I challenged him the other day, but it's pretty simple. Why don't you just come out and say, I'm going to support banning critical race theory? He says he, he says he doesn't support it. We'll step up and ban it. He says he doesn't support comprehensive sex education. Then step up and ban it. By the way, he also says, and I've challenged him on this, it's a pretty simple thing. We should not be supporting biological men competing in women's sports. There is a House Bill 61 out there that would ban that in Ohio, yet he said he will not sign that if it gets to his desk. These are the simple things in education that this governor doesn't want to lead on. He wants to hide behind it because, let's face it, it's a primary time and he has a chance of losing. Sure. But back to my original question, what would the language of such a proposed ban say? I mean, these are obviously how, how would you propose difficult topics in history like race discrimination and the potential after effects of them be taught? Isn't there value in learning about bad chapters in history? And why would censoring certain topics be better and who would it be better for? What would the language of the ban be? 
Well, look, what, what we need to do is compete with other states. Other states are already doing this. Florida is doing it. Some of the other states are doing it. We need to look at what states are growing and prospering, what education systems are better than ours, and we need to start looking toward those. This is not something that you have to recreate. Sure, history is important, and we should teach history, the good and the bad, but we should also be emphasizing reading, writing, arithmetic. We should also be emphasizing skill sets that will make our children better and stronger to meet the needs of the future jobs and the future generation of this state so that people aren't leaving. Sure, but Congressman, nobody's calling to ban those things. You are calling to ban this particular topic. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'll circle back one more time. What would the language of the ban that you've made a cornerstone of your campaign be? Can well, you define what it is you're calling for? Well, first off, um, you keep saying it's me. I'm just actually speaking for the people. 70%, 70%. 70% of parents of school-aged children do not want critical race theory taught to them in their schools. We should be making sure that education is, is based on the parents' needs and wants, not the teachers' needs and wants. It's pretty simple. You ban anything that tries to talk about discrimination and sets a standard that a teacher should not be teaching, but a parent should be talking about with their child. So how would you teach about these? How would you propose these things be taught, be talked about in classrooms? And what exactly is it that they would not be talking about if you say you support teaching history, which does include things like race discrimination? Well, first off, there's plenty of discrimination out there. I mean, again, I don't think a teacher should be looking at a child who is white and saying, you are privileged and the African-American child was not privileged. I mean, there are a lot of classes of people who also were not privileged throughout history. So again, I think in the end, we should be ta talking about our history, the good things, the bad things, learning from our history. But I don't think there's any, I don't know how it's more simpler I can get with you. A teacher should not be saying you are privileged and you're not privileged. So that's the ban. It would just be saying who is or isn't privileged, well, but we would I, talk about, I mean, again, I mean, I'm looking at, I, I get the texts from your campaign and it's, I mean, I got one just last week that specifically says it's time to protect parents' rights and ban CRT from Ohio classrooms. So, I mean, I'm not trying to harp on the point here, but I want to know what that ban would entail. I want to know the language of the ban. What are you telling teachers is not protected speech? What are you right. telling them has to be banned? Critical race theory is a program that's being implemented, whether it's books, whether it's teaching, uh, you know, who is pri privileged and who isn't. I don't think a teacher can determine who is privileged and who isn't. They can assume that's an assumption. But in the end, let's just get back to teaching the basics. Let's talk about our history. Let's talk about Ohio was formed. Let's talk about how our country was formed. Let's talk about all the issues, but let's not start talking about who's privileged, who's not privileged, why someone was privileged over somebody else. Look, there are a lot of great people that have come through this country. And you know what? I always chuckle. Everybody wants to come to our country. The borders uh, are, are jammed up with people wanting to, to come here. And yet, why don't we just teach about how great our country was with the history of why we became so great? Okay, so so it really is getting down to the picking winners and losers that that that's what the band would focus on this idea that somebody's more privileged than another. That's where the language would be focused. 
I think anything related, anything related to the theory that's based on critical race theory would be banned. So all of the above. Um, now, despite uh, your appearing with the former president as recently as last weekend, he has yet to decline, or I'm sorry, he has so far declined to endorse anybody in the governor's race. Do you anticipate getting uh, Donald Trump's endorsement? And do you think you need it? And, and why do you think he's been reluctant? He did endorse in the Senate race. Well, look, he, if he runs in 2024, and I've said this all along, the biggest issue, here's what people should be talking about. This president or former president has not endorsed the sitting Republican governor. That should be the story. We have a president who has decided not to endorse the sitting Republican governor who was endorsed by the Ohio Republican Party, not by mm -hmm. much. I think it was 35 to 25, but he was endorsed by the Ohio Republican Party. Yet we have a president who has not endorsed him. Yet this president has endorsed others that have been endorsed by the High Republican Party. So that should really be the story. I don't know if he's going to endorse. Um, right now, we feel pretty confident where we're at. Uh, we are surging. DeWine is declining. Our polls show this is a neck and neck race. We believe that when voters come out, they need to talk about the main issues, not who President Trump endorsed, but whether sure. they really believe the critical race theory, social emotional learning, and comprehensive sex education should be banned, whether, you know, biological men should be competing in women's sports, which I don't believe they should. Governor DeWine hasn't taken a stance. Whether illegal immigration is part of our problem. How about election integrity? How about Second Amendment rights? How about life, you know, pro-life issues? Those are the things people should be talking about, not whether um, uh, former President Trump endorsed. Again, would I love his endorsement? Sure. But I'm not sure at this point in time he's going to engage in a in a governor's race mm -hmm. when he'll be running potentially running in 2024. Yeah, no, but how much of a factor you think Joe Blystone is because as I look at the polling and obviously you've got internal polling so it's different than what I'm seeing. But what I see is I see DeWine looking like he's got a lead but it actually I I I would agree when you read those numbers closely it's a real soft lead and it becomes an absolute dead heat if his challengers are consolidated, which is, and that's where the endorsement comes in potentially is that theoretically, if there were an endorsement that could consolidate the challenger vote. And now all of a sudden you're looking at 43, 43. That's why I ask about the importance of that endorsement. Is Blystone a, a, a significant factor here? Or is, is the right, are the challengers from the right split down the middle and thus kind of creating a fractious Republican party? Well, look, here's what I think it explains it even better. Mike DeWine, the sitting governor, can't get over 40%. Cannot. You watch next Tuesday. He's going to barely get over 40 at best, but I bet he sits around 40%. That means 60% of Republicans don't support him. So the question is, is one of the challengers able to get 41 or 42 and mm -hmm. defeat Mike DeWine? That's my goal. And in the, in the end, look, the other candidates, you know, we see them declining pretty rapidly right now because people do want to see Republicans, remember, it's a Republican primary. Right, they right. Wanna, they want to see Mike DeWine defeated. 60% of them want to see. So I don't know if we need a consolidation as much as we need one more percentage more than Mike DeWine gets. That's the goal of our campaign. We need to keep making sure people know what Mike DeWine has done um, and why he has taken our state in the wrong direction. 
And by the way, it's kind of funny. He's now spending a million dollars on TV this last week trying to tell you why he's a good candidate. That tells you all something. And at the same time, he's talking about issues that uh, he's trying to change the narrative because most people, most Republicans are never going to vote for him again. Our polling shows that 35% of Republicans will never vote for Mike DeWine again. So we have a sitting governor who's run his, his uh, you know, last three and a half years, and, and he can't get the support of his own party, the majority of support of his own party. So yes, the splitting of the vote could cause a problem. My goal is to just make sure I get one more vote than Mike DeWine. Sure, sure. Now, regardless of who the nominee is, whether you do get that one more vote or whether DeWine ekes one out or, or however the primary goes, do you have any concern? And this is actually, it's, it's interesting. This is usually a question that I'm asking of progressive challengers in Democratic primaries, but it's the same sort of a situation where do, are you concerned at all that there could be enough damage done to whoever the nominee is or enough of a fracture in the party? You just mentioned all the Republicans that would that, that say they'd never vote for DeWine again. Many of the kitchen table issues you mentioned particularly things like um, the, the the gas tax you mentioned and you mentioned uh, the HB6 scandal. These are things that the Democratic candidates for governor are also talking about. So there's some unity there against DeWine and some of your messaging and some of theirs. Um, do you have any concerns that you could be tanking your own party by going so hard against the, the sitting governor? Would you support DeWine if he became the nominee? Well, first off, I think it's not about parties. It's about our state. Secondly, I think uh, I am the most qualified candidate to take our state and move it forward, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. I'm a business guy of 38 years. I've created jobs, employed people. I understand what it is uh, to try and make payroll, to try and balance budgets. I'm not a career politician. All the other candidates are. So that's their that's their issue. But in the end, I think the real key will be the vision of the future. No candidate seems to be talking about a vision, and I am. I'm talking about a state that needs to be in the top 10 states in the country. I'm talking about a state that spends too much. We have 10.7 million people, and we spend $80 billion a year. Florida has 22 million people, twice the amount, and they spent $88 billion. States of similar size spend less than Ohio. We need to get our spending in line so we can reduce our taxes. We're one of the top five, worst five states for taxation, just reported by Wallet Hub, 49th with income tax. So we need to look at all those things. We need to make our state a state that businesses and people want to come to. We have some great assets here and I have that vision, but to get it fixed, we got to get our spending down. We got to change our tax system. We got to make sure that the regulatory climate um, isn't so bad that businesses don't want to come. And instead of being the seventh most loved state in the country where everybody's leaving, I want to make Ohio one of the top 10 states in the country where people are coming. Look at our assets. Beautiful lake to the north, a national park, theme parks, halls of fame, a river to the south. We've got so many great assets that people should want to come here and live. And yet we're failing in that way as well. Well, uh Cong former Congressman Jim Renacy, candidate for governor, I, I appreciate your time, and uh, we're we're less than a week away. We'll we'll be we'll be hearing from you soon, one way or the other. Well, listen, I hope your listeners take a good look at the candidates. Mike Dewine has failed us, um, and he's failed our state. 
no matter who says it, independents. One last thing I would tell yeah. you, remember, independents make up 60% of Ohio's voters. So in a general election, the, whoever the nominees are, are going to have to convince the independents who is best to lead our state forward and move our state to being the powerhouse it used to be. I will be that person that will be able to make sure the independents come my way. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you.